0: My name is Ben Burgess. This is give them an argument. I am joined by our producer, Jake Appet, um, union organizer by morning MFA student by afternoon, GTA, uh, super producer by night and our graphic designer, J Andrew world. Uh, that's that guy at the bottom of, uh, of your screen. Or, uh, or Fidel bottom?
1: Castro, apparently.
0: Yeah. Eh, eh. Either way. Uh, And, uh, he is the one responsible for all the beautiful images you see on the, uh, the thumbnails all the time. Uh, and what you just watched was the trailer for the give them a revolution live show. So that is the joint give them an argument left reckoning. Uh, this is revolution live show that is happening in New York city this Sunday, um, so I'm going to be there. These two guys on the screen here with me are going to be there. Uh, Jason Miles um, and Sam Cedar, both of whom you're going to see in about 20 minutes on your screen, are going to uh, are going to be there. Cuba uh, from This Is Revolution is going to be there. Uh, Emma Vigland is going to be there from Majority Report and the Emma Sports Vigland Network. Uh, <laughs> Uh, let's see. Uh, Baskar Sankara, my good friend, uh, Jack and editor, is going to be there. It should be a lot of fun. Um, it's the second live show and the first one in New York since that um, since that last Michael Brooks show live show uh, just before the world ended in uh, in 2020. So very, very excited about that. Uh, if you're wondering where I am right now and why there are traffic noises behind me, which there usually are not when we, uh, we record the show... It's because at uh, what we like to call podcast matter and in, uh, in Rosarito, that is the, uh, that's, you know, by which I mean the apartment where I live and then two units down, Jason Miles from this is revolution lives. Uh, power is out today. So, uh, so uh, hence Wi-Fi is out and I, uh, and so I can't do the show there. So I am out in a cafe right now. Uh, sitting outside, it is not ideal circumstances. But despite these very not ideal circumstances, I am really looking forward to tonight's show. As I just mentioned, we are going to have uh, Sam Cedar. Um, we uh, we are going to have Jason Miles, and we are also going to have our very good friend J- uh, R.M. Brown on uh, for uh, for a Little Power Panel. Going to uh, you know, we've got some stuff about Ben Shapiro, Jordan Peterson. Uh, Tim Poole, a uh, truly insane Republican Congresswoman, not, not even one of the ones who's famous for being insane. Uh, so, a lot of good stuff coming up. Uh, coming up at the half-hour mark when we, uh, you know, when we start this. Uh, but uh, do want to go over a couple of other things, and I should say also uh, we're going to have uh, Deep State Cuba, and our live show producer Jordan. Uh, joining us in the post game for give them an argument patrons. Uh, if you are not already a patron, that is five bucks a month, patreon.com slash Ben Burgess. Uh, and it's a really good way to support the show. Keep everything that we're doing here. Yeah.
2: I was saying, uh, for anyone wondering, we have a link, uh, in the description, right. Uh, for, to get tickets for the live show, uh, we, Jules at.
0: yes, we do indeed have a live show link in the description of this video. Down there. Keep scrolling. Uh, you will uh, you'll come to the uh I think it used to say Ticketmaster. It said Ticket Web. I don't know if Ticketmaster uh recently rebranded, possibly on the grounds of people thinking for some reason that they were a sinister monopoly. But uh, Taylor Swift, I, I think, has something to do with that. Yeah, I don't know where anybody got that idea, but um in any case, uh you can uh you can see that down below. There are still I think the tickets to the VIP meeting, great before, uh, are all sold out. Uh, but uh, we have, we do, we still do, still have general admissions tickets that are left. If you want to, if you want to grab one, in uh, in the next day or two, show is on Sunday. Uh, so that is January twenty second at the Cutting Room, which is very centrally located in Manhattan. It's like half a mile from Penn Station. Um, so. Yeah, VIP meeting grade at five. Doors open for general admission at six. Show starts at seven. Uh, should be getting out early enough at like nine thirty or something that we could everybody could have some time to to mill around at the uh, uh, you know the bar at the venue afterwards, um, and uh, and mingle a little bit. So yeah, really really looking forward to that. I should also say, if you are a GTA patron, uh, I've not posted this yet because I've been dealing with this power outage crisis all day, uh, but, uh, we are going to put up something on the Patreon tonight. So if, uh, if you have any questions that you would like to ask any of our live show guests in the Q and a at the end, uh, we are going to be taking some patron questions at the end. So you can just stick those either in the comments on the post, which will be on the Patreon tonight, or, uh, you can just put those in the discord. I think somebody will be collecting them there and we'll ask some of them at the show. Um, uh, believe we'll also have uh andy uh, logistical details are still being worked out but i believe uh going, you know we'll we'll be live drawing a couple of uh you know highlights of uh, of things that people say at the show and then we'll have to figure out what to do with those drawings afterwards so uh yeah this should be really really good i'm really looking forward to it we will talk about that more later in the show but right now i would like to turn my mental attention as one so often does to slovenia and uh talk about a friend of the show frequent guest who's going to be a guest again in february because we still like him uh slavoj zizek um who is uh who has undergone uh some uh uh some pretty some pretty rough criticisms Lately, so there was an article in Counterpunch at the beginning of January uh, that called him uh, capitalism's court jester, um, which is which is quite a uh, quite a title. Uh, and I, people may know, I recently started a philosophy Substack because most of the writing I do is for Jacobin and the Daily Beast and sort of uh, politics of the moment stuff. But philosophy for the people started this a couple of weeks ago. Uh, like three and a half weeks ago, the first official essay went up on New Year's day, January 1st. And, um, you know, I started that cause I want philosophy writing theory, writing to be a bigger proportion of my overall output. And this was a good way to do it. I've been wanting that for a while. So, um, uh, <laughs> observer, uh, says in a super chat, what are you all going to do? A similar event to the West coast? Uh, Go back a couple months in time, and we actually did uh, at, uh, in Los Angeles uh, in October. But we, but that will not be the last West Coast one ever. You have not just missed the one opportunity for all time. Uh, so, in any case, on the philosophy for the people, Substack, you know, called it that because the double meaning that the parts of it that are about political philosophy are bound up with left political program, but it's also philosophy for the people, not just for a few academics. Um, I did write. About this uh, Zizek controversy. Uh, So uh, it's called Don't Cancel Zizek. I say, I don't, you know, in the uh, subtitle there, I don't agree with my friend Slavoj Zizek about everything, but uh, he's an insightful thinker and I have nothing but contempt for attempts to denounce him as a philosophical lightweight or a neoliberal stooge. And I believe, I don't know if we're actually doing a clip of this or a screen share, uh, but I believe we have a little bit of a discussion that I had earlier today about this very topic. Uh, This was at um, nine in the morning, (laughs) my time on the West coast, uh, because it was with Ashley Frowley, who's based in the UK. And then Doug Land, who was also getting up uh, early in the morning. Uh, So we, we talked a little bit about the anti-Zizek piece and some of what I said in my response. And I guess the only, the only two things I want to say really to set this up are just one um. If, you know, read the essay, so that's benburgess.substack.com, you can read the essay itself, and uh, and if you do so, you'll see that I I spend quite a bit of time talking about the sort of more uh, philosophical, theoretical aspects of Slavo's work, and kind of what engaging with that work has meant to me over the decades, how, how it's changed some of my own thinking on some of these issues, but in this part specifically, I'm talking to Ashley about some of the more concrete points about his political position so with that i will shut up and we'll watch the clip
2: um so i think part of what people are rejecting with with zizek is they're accusing him of being just this sort of like closet liberal in a communist guise um and in this piece that we were looking at the Rockhill piece he makes a very sort of specific criticism of zizek of being a, a neoliberal. Um, for supporting particular policies um, of neoliberalization in, in Eastern Bloc countries after the um, uh, after the fall of the... Uh, fall of Berlin Wall, after the fall of uh, really existing socialism. I just wondered what you thought about that. I, I think there's an interesting... There's all sorts of stuff going
0: on with this. There's a kind of trajectory toward anti-liberalism within left. Yeah. Where it's like, oh, you fucking liberals, blah, blah, blah. Uh, and yeah, anyway, sorry, go ahead. <laughs> yeah, I mean, I think that... Uh... I mean, the liberalism question to me is a little bit complicated because people mean really different things by it. That should be disaggregated. That, right. Exactly. Um, I mean, just like crassly, I think free speech is very good, and economic neoliberalism is very bad. Uh, but, um, but mm-hmm. in, uh, but so, so I think that's a discussion worth having. I will say, really specifically on the Rock Hill thing and on on Zizek and neoliberalism, um, I think. I mean, people can. Could read the essay that I wrote about this, and I, I go into like probably tedious detail about this because like it really like offended me how inaccurate this was. But he uh, Rockhill sort of goes through uh, two sources. One is a interview that Zizek and some other people did for like a uh, Radical Philosophy Journal. It, was, it was like a it was like this thirty page thing called Lacan in Slovenia uh, in nineteen ninety one. And the other is a de- is a debate that a uh, startlingly young looking Zizek is doing in uh, in 1990 uh, as a failed candidate for political office, and uh, and so what he pulls out of the um, of the Lacan in Slovenia interview is is a um, a sentence like one sentence and part of another where he says, well, I'm i I'm, I'm a pragmatist uh, if like a dose of market reforms will help us, you know, with our economic crisis, you know, I'm I'm open to trying it or something like that. And then uh, the other is that he pulls out of that candidate debate, this not even a sentence or a phrase, you know, like not even a clause of a sentence, but just like the, the words plan privatization Uh, and then something about more capitalism in our case would be more social security. If those are the three data points you're looking at, it it paints a really clear picture that, that Zizek is somebody who, Was like on the vanguard of demanding more uh, neoliberal economic restructure in Slovenia in 1990 and 1991, which is almost the opposite of the picture that emerges if you actually click through to Rock Hill's sources. That in that um, in the Lacan and Slovenia interview, uh, the uh, the next like literally the next sentence after after he quotes, he, he starts talking about how okay, you know, I'm enough pragmatist to say, you know, try a dose, which by the way, I mean, you know, this could be, you know, Tito could have said the same thing. Uh, Lenin, as, as Doug pointed out when I was talking about this with him last night, could have said the same thing in 1921, uh, when he's implemented the new economic policy. Uh, but immediately like the next sentence he's saying, well, but I don't want to take this out of, I don't want to go along with this sort of neoliberal idea. This is just a sort of like, Experts can tell us what we need, you know, and 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 like just making like full on Thatcherism or or free esque economics. He said just just taking that outside of the sphere of ideological contestation. That's like the next thing he said. And then the candidate debate is even more like crazily misleading in both cases because because what he's really specifically saying with the thing about more capitalism in our case would be more social security. Is he's saying like just before it? He says, well, look. Uh, don't compare us to, you know, these other countries, you know, mentions places in Latin America, right? If you're comparing us to our immediate capitalist neighbors, then um, he claims workers have more social security there than they're having in, in Slovenia right now. And we're just turning people onto the streets as we're engaged in this privatization and, uh, and restructuring. And he, and when he says the thing, about, you know, so more capitalism in our case, i.e. being being more like our immediate, more social democratic capitalist neighbors, would mean more social security for workers. And uh, the thing about planned privatizations, the context is that he's he's saying, like he's denouncing what he calls wild privatizations that have happened and said that, um, uh, and and explicitly advocating that companies that have already been privatized in Slovenia at that point be renationalized. And if we deliberately decide later we need to privatize them, they can at least be, Plan privatizations with an eye toward social and ecological consequences, and and really, if you watch the the clip, like the video from that debate that Rockhill himself links, I think in his footnote, like he's staking out positions on this that might be to the right of everybody here right now, but like are certainly wildly to the left of the other candidates on the stage, uh, and and he's been accused by the other candidates of wanting to turn upside down all the progress that's been made and overcoming communism. They say no. This mad push towards privatization is turning to turning everything upside down. I'm advocating a return to sanity, and and it, from all you know, from like, I think the reasonable left critique of what he said is that by 1990, 1991, he's clearly resigned to the march towards restored capitalism in, in Slovenia. He doesn't think that's stoppable, and his political horizons are limited to just trying to make it a gentler, more social democratic kind of capitalism, right? If you want to critique that, fair enough. But I think if you're going to do it in an honest way, one, I think you should acknowledge that he didn't stop thinking or writing about these issues in 1991, and quite Mm -hmm. a bit said since that has been much more radical. And two, that in 1991, judging by the very pieces of evidence that Rockhill himself cites, if you go through and read them or watch them, the kinds of opinions he was expressing on this stuff, on economic policy seem to have been on the far left of the spectrum of, of mainstream opinion in Slovenia at the time. All right. I saw a question in the chat about what year that debate was that I'm referring to. Uh, That is from 1990. Uh, And I think if you, again, I, I think that the only thing I would add to what I say in the clip is if you look at his opinions over the decades since then, uh, he, um, he supported Occupy Wall Street, you know, he spoke in Zuccotti Park, uh, he supported Syriza and its brief stand against EU austerity in 2015. He was a strong supporter of both of the Bernie Sanders campaigns in the US. He defended Jeremy Corbyn in, uh, in the UK when Corbyn was accused of anti-Semitism and all that. And so it seems like far from being an advocate of neoliberalism, his consistent posture has been to sort of try to, you know defend whatever he thought was the left, most left-wing available option out of the sort of realistic spectrum of what existed at the time. And, you know, I'm not saying there might not be legitimate criticisms of that, but I don't think they're very much like the ones that have been made. So, again, if you want to check that out, uh, that's on the Philosophy for the People uh, Substack. stack uh, The name of that essay is Don't Cancel Zizek, and the, the sub-stack is Dot. Huh. Um unless either of you guys want to throw anything in on that. Um,
1: I, I just remember uh talking to somebody from Slovenia and they they actually brought up that that uh, presidential run and just said, oh, he's a Stalinist.
0: And that, that was literally all they said about him. So so it's very much the opposite of what uh what, what this person's takeaway of uh, uh that debate was. Yeah, well it's really funny because even a couple of years ago uh critiques of zizek like they sort of not like oh he got this or that wrong but there's like kind of big sweeping condemnations of zizek even the ones that were emerging from the socialist left like current affairs published an article a couple of years ago called like what is zizek for um tended to take that tack they would accuse him of being like too too stalinist or too soft on on that kind of authoritarian capital c communism and the more recent critiques are exactly the opposite. They're like, oh, actually, he was secretly a pawn of you know, NATO and the CIA all along. And I would suggest, again, people can read the essay, uh, I would suggest that neither of those things is really true uh, and, that, uh, and that he has a much more plausible position on all this stuff than you would think. Uh, again, he should be back in the show, I think in really early February sometime. Uh, looking forward to that. Last thing I wanted to do before we bring in our uh, power panel of Sam Cedar Jason Miles and RM Brown is I wanted to talk a little bit about Brazil because I uh, just wrote an article about um, about the situation in Brazil. It's called uh, deport, deport Bolsonaro. Uh, you know, normally when people move from Latin America to the United States, and people want to deport them. I'm on the side of wanting to let them stay. But in this case, I'm prepared to make an exception. Um, I should uh, I should correct uh, something inaccurate. I said in passing when we were talking about this last week, which is that we were looking at a, at a letter it was obviously written in Portuguese. And I, I I hadn't looked at it closely enough beforehand. And I said that it was a extradition request. What it was, was it was a Brazilian congressperson uh, put like request, like, writing a letter to the Ministry of Justice saying they should extradite him. That still hasn't happened yet. But uh, since I even wrote this article, the Ministry of Justice has opened a formal investigation into his role in the attempted coup on January 8th. And I would also point out uh, you don't need to wait for a formal extradition request to kick him out, right? They, um, I mean, you could essentially say to him as— bartenders have been saying to drugs at the end of the night since time immemorial you know you don't have to go home but you can't stay here and um i think that it would be good to do that because given the extremely long and gruesome history of the united states supporting right-wing coups in latin america i I think um not offering safe haven to a right-wing authoritarian whose supporters uh just uh just attempted a coup against the democratically elected government uh with apparent involvement by that very authoritarian leader uh certainly like the uh his minister of justice actually plans that were found in his house for like a formal declaration of like an uh, emergency government you know if if the um if the attempt on january 8th had been successful to bring back bolsonaro uh the uh brazilian chief of police this is actually one of the respects in which you know for all the superficial similarities, I think this is actually um, this was actually a much nearer miss than January sixth in the United States. That the um, that there does seem to have been this complicity by the military police in Brasilia that they like get, like actually escorted the, um, the the rioters to the capital. The head of the uh, like district police in Brasilia was not there uh, on the eighth because he was in vacation in Florida. Which is where Bolsonaro was. Uh, In fact, during that week leading up to the coup, Bolsonaro's pictures were constantly on social media because people would see him like wandering the aisles at Publix or, uh, you know, enjoying some KFC. And so, you know, I suppose it's possible that Bolsonaro had no idea that an attempted coup was being planned in his name. Uh, I will point out that his nephew was a participant, but. I suppose it's possible that Uncle Jair had no idea what he was planning. I suppose it's even possible that um, I suppose it's even possible that the uh, that the uh, security chief for Brasilia uh, didn't cross paths with Jair while they were both in Florida, or or if they did cross paths, that all they talked about was you know I don't know the menu offerings at KFC that uh, that they were enjoying, or you know or or. What was available at the aisles of Publix, but um, all I'm saying is, look, if you're watching this, if you're in Orlando, if you run into Jair, maybe tell him that the authorities back home have some questions for him. Yeah, let's let's uh, let's harass him. I, I want
1: to <laughs> see those videos uh, of people coming up to him and just being like, you know, yelling at him in uh, Portuguese about. Uh, <laughs> Uh, about, you know, all this terrible stuff and um, uh, ask him, you know, how he can wear
0: pants. (laughs) Yeah, so, I mean, I will say, um, like, probably the thing that's made my atheism shake the most in the the last uh, several years has been what sure seemed like a whole series of biblical plagues that have been visited on uh, Jair Bolsonaro. Uh, But uh, we do have a clip on this, so this is a... um, this was was put out by by Lula, the uh, newly elected um, social democratic president in uh, in Brazil, and it shows. It's in Portuguese, but I got a translation from Brian Meyer at the uh, at TeleSUR, uh, so I will I will read Brian's translation for you guys afterwards. But uh, he's showing the the scenes of devastation from uh, from the the storming of the government buildings in Brasilia on the eighth.
3: Right. So,
0: according to Brian Telleser, I messaged him about this because I do not speak Portuguese. Uh, I'm working on Spanish, but but I do not speak Portuguese. Uh, He uh, He says that Lula, that clip, is saying they're going to find out that democracy guarantees the right to freedom, free communications and free expression. But that it also demands that people respect the institutions that were created to strengthen it. There's no precedent in the history of our nation what these people did. And for that reason, these people have to be punished. We're going to find out who uh, funded these vandals that came to Brasilia. We're going to find out who the funders are, and all of them will pay with the force of the law for this undemocratic, irresponsible act for this act of vandals and fascists. Um, So I don't know. It's possible. You know they do things a little bit differently in Brazil. It's it's not the United States. It's it's possible that powerful people who break the law might actually face some sort of consequences. We'll find out. Yeah, because we know powerful people have uh, faced consequences
1: that were uh, for things that didn't happen. So let's see what they can do it for things that do happen.
0: Yeah, exactly. All right. With that, do we uh, do we have our guests uh, backstage? Yeah, we All sure right. do. All right, outstanding. Uh, let us uh, bring in our panel. So we have uh, the person who is geographically the closest to me right now, who is Jason Miles from uh, from This Is Revolution. Um, and uh, we have um the uh, the person who is uh, most geographically distant from me right now, who's uh, Sam Cedar. Primarily known, best known, I believe, as the voice of Hugo on Bob's Burgers.
1: You're and heading here. You're heading here. It's I'm your future.
0: <laughs> exactly. Yeah, that's true. I'm actually. We're coming actually sooner spot.
2: than you think. Oh, I know. <laughs> oh, okay. Good.
0: <laughs> yeah. Uh, should actually be in the same room with Sam even a couple days before the live show. Uh, so, and then in between them, geographically, um, we have R.M. Brown.
3: Hey guys, thanks for having me, Ben. Always fun. Hey, what's up, Jason and Sam? How are you? Good. I
1: didn't realize he was going to be here. I oh, love sorry. your Steely Dan shirt. In oh, black. Thank I, you. I think,
0: I think Sam's going to have to leave now because he didn't realize he's going to well, be asked to be here with. I wanted Colorado. to.
3: Con- no. I wanted to confront him. I wanted to confront him about the force the vote stuff because I'm a big force <laughs> the vote guy. So I'm gonna really nail some of know,
1: asses that on that one. Yeah. Oh, that was a good discussion. Now so I know yes. how powder feels.
3: <laughs> Surprise! Gotcha.
0: Well, I will actually say that is a little bit funny to me on multiple levels because I had uh, written. I promise you guys, we are not going to spend more than two minutes talking about this. <laughs> oh my god! Uh, uh, but let's but, wrap this up, shall we? <laughs> yeah. uh but uh two years ago when this all this first came up i wrote an article for Jacobin where i said that uh force the vote didn't make sense to me like as a strategy and um and uh fast forward to like a couple weeks ago um brianna joy gray started tweeting about how i had um about like we and she started bringing up this article that I'd written years ago and say that I'd been I'd been disproven because of the Republican you know speaker vote, and uh, I invited her on the show uh, to talk about it, talk over her criticisms of the article. Uh, she declined. Also, Jimmy Dora started tweeting at me. I well, think let I, me just
1: ask you one question: Did she show up in your uh, YouTube chat uh, while you were talking <laughs> about it? Because that's been, that's been my experience when you invite someone. Uh, and they can't make it because they're too busy, but then you see them in your YouTube chat in the hey. exact time you'd invite them on. I'm just saying that happens. That happens.
2: She in this one, you guys keep saying, uh, FTV,
0: you keep saying, she actually, uh, like actually, yeah, exactly. <laughs> she say it three times, uh, well, she actually did do that in uh, in like fall 2020. I was on the Jacobin, like old, the weekend show they used to do with Jacobin, and we were talking about her uh, debate with noam chomsky about lesser evil voting and um and while i was talking with talking to, to anna casperian and, and nanda vila about that on the show uh and, and i was very nice about it right i i was i was being extremely polite right you know I, i'd nothing disrespectful just like okay here's why the perspective that she's saying in this clip doesn't really make sense to me or whatever and she showed up in the chat to say like i noticed nobody's talking about the concerns of black people so, you know,
1: maybe she had a point. I'm sure. Did she ultimately delete it? Because that's what <laughs> happened.
0: That's my understanding. Yeah, I don't know. Um, but uh, but in any case, um, that's uh, the funniest thing about this to me is that so Jimmy Dore got it, gets it on the act. He starts tweeting like he I think he tweets about me a dozen times over the course of a few days and likes several dozen tweets by his fans about me and uh, i also invite him to come on the show to you know present any criticisms that he has and he did he, he also... say he was too sick because <laughs>
1: i've had that experience uh, I've had no, that experience he... as well i'm too sick i can't i can't we're, I'm, I'm dealing with illness well um, sam
2: what? sam we're only like a couple hours from dude like i'm hell <laughs> down and like go to his studio you're like bro like let's just talk it out i'm two and a half hours away I'm sure
0: the security on his compound is pretty pretty tight.
2: If they're worried about my ass, then the motherfuckers is not serious.
0: That that is, I will just I will just say this about that. That so he didn't say that. What he said is that he wasn't gonna he wasn't gonna like um, it wasn't even though it was worth it to him to like tweet about me over and over and over again. It wasn't worth it to him to talk to me because I was obviously a lying head fraud. Uh, That was the uh, those were all words that were were used there, but like the funniest thing about this is I think one of the tweets by his fans that he liked was uh, that like I was a smug comfortable liberal who probably had health insurance myself etc and it's like motherfucker I live in a one bedroom apartment I've seen pictures of the place the place that Jimmy lives Um, (laughs) where we have no power (laughs) (laughs)
2: <laughs> where our water gets shut off randomly. <laughs> yes, but
1: but but Jimmy's dad was a cop and he has a Chicago accent. So clearly he understands the uh the needs of the working class better than you do. So
0: yeah, fair enough. Uh so <laughs> I do want to uh I do want to move on from uh from Jimmy Dore if that's if that's okay with Aaron.
1: Let me uh, just say he also figured out the Seth Rich thing way before you did. So.
0: And he's a pothead comedian, so if he could figure it out. That's right. You're he just masturbates, of a parent, he said.
1: <laughs> I, think he's, he's, he, I think his official logo is a masturbatory comedian, he said. Jack Oh, Jackoff. Okay. I, was, I knew it was yes. something like
0: that. <laughs> <laughs> Well, I'm not a masturbatory comedian, so I, I can't, uh, you know, I can't speak to that. Uh, but I did want to move to. Uh, I will forswear any speculation about how distant a part of the political spectrum, but a different part of the political spectrum, in uh, in just a moment. But first, um, our riot earlier earlier uh, told me that he had an off-topic uh, thing that he wanted to raise. Uh, oh, you want to
3: uh, you want to start with this? Okay, it's it's completely off topic. It's something that I've heard Sam talk about and it's not funny. There's nothing interesting about it, but I <laughs> oh heard
0: good. It, Oh it's, good. It's I'm, I'm, I'm glad you asked to do this on my show. Ben, I mean, yeah, right? it's it's going
3: to totally ruin your show. Better Goodbye. on your
1: show than his. <laughs>
3: Exactly. Exactly. Very strategic. Um, so bye, subscribers. Uh, but Sam, I wanted to ask you. Well, my,
1: my understanding of I mean, your show is very entertaining. Oh, yeah. Oh, mean, yeah. People, if they're we, looking for something we,
3: we, we don't waste to. a second on my show. <laughs> <laughs> um, I did want to, I think maybe some of them will be interested. I've heard you talk about this, maybe to like Matthew Film Guy or something, but you never go too far with this. But I've heard you talk about Dogma 95 a couple times. I wanted to get your opinion on Dogma 95 because it's a it's it feels like a totally forgotten film movement. You're like the only person that I ever hear talk about it. I just want to see maybe briefly what you think about it. And if if you're if you're hungry for like a new film movement like that.
1: Well, you know, I my my perspective on that was, and the reason why it, it resonates so much with me is because at that time uh that it came out. It, I think it was was it the celebration or there was, a, I can't remember what the first movie that Von Trier or Vinterberg did out of that at that time. But I had just shot a movie on, on digital video and it was, I think the first non, the first fictional non mixed media, you know, uh, uh, movie shot on digital video and converted certainly on, on Digi beta because we had the first Sony camera. Uh, like they gave it to us for free. And, and we converted it at 4MC. And when Dogma 95 came out, my producer and I were talking. I was like, these guys are smart and we're fucking idiots because <laughs> they wanted to shoot on video. And so they reverse engineered a manifesto that allowed them only to shoot on video. And it became a, a feature, not a bug. Whereas for us, it was like, when I told my agent or my you know, or lawyer or whatever, whoever it was, had said, why did you shoot this on video? And I'm like, well, it was the only way I could do it low budget. I wanted to use existing lighting. I wanted to, I didn't want to have to have like, you know, uh, sync the sound. And, uh, you know, I wanted to do a lot of improv, which is exactly why Dogma 95 existed. They wanted to shoot on video. And so they created a manifesto that would only allow them to shoot on video. They didn't say video. The word, I don't think the word video actually is even in uh, the, the the manifesto. But it's like you need existing light. You can't you can't bring in any lights in. You have to record sound and uh, picture simultaneously. Uh, and there no was a couple CGI, other-
3: no effects, no titles. Yeah, yeah,
1: yeah, yeah. It was all basically justifying how we're going to do this low budget. But they were smart. They made. They understood that that you know they they, they came from a a cinema background, and I came from a um, a jagoff comedian background. I,
3: <laughs> I can't wait for Jimmy Doors' uh, Dogma ninety five to come out. That's going to be interesting. The Force, the Vote, the movie, or whatever. Well,
0: well, it'll, it'll be. Yeah, I mean, look, it'll be well within the sort of tradition. Of uh, works of art created it, by political commentators, Tim Pool's band, you know, shit like that. So yeah. it'll,
1: it'll be Dogma 95, Dogma 96, Dogma 97, <laughs> Dogma 98, Dogma 99,
0: and just on and on and on. Well, um, Jason, did you, did you have anything you wanted to, to add on this? Or?
2: No. I've '95. At first I thought he meant the Kevin Smith movie. I was like, didn't that come out in 2000?
3: Well, Oops. I mean, maybe, maybe the tie-in is sort of like, uh, uh, lo-fi, like doing things, lo-fi totally. in a way to kind of make it, you know, when you don't want to spend a lot of money or like Sam was saying, if you want to use video or something, you use lo-fi as an asset as like a, to make it seem more edgy, yeah, the Rodriguez same thing.
1: Did a, a movie called El Mariachi that, that I think they remade. Yeah. it, But mm-hmm. the yeah. first one he did um, was on like, you know, this was at a time where people would like, I maxed out my credit card to 12,000 bucks and did the movie. But he, um, because of the way he was shooting, he, he screwed up his sync with his 16 millimeter. And so he could only keep the sound in sync to the picture for like, I don't know what it was like 12 seconds. And so he would cut every 12 seconds to hide the fact that he was losing sync. And when he presented it, people were like, this is an amazing new style of cutting. It's so dynamic and kinetic. And he did it because he didn't he didn't have sync. And uh, he, he successfully covered, you know, and he made a big career out of it. But I mean, that's, you know, that, that, uh, sometimes those things, those limitations create, you know, uh, new art. So I don't know. Well, I mean, his, I,
3: his his backstory for that too was interesting. I don't know how true it is, but he he did like medical experiments to raise the money for that movie. He was like a a test subject in, yeah. in Austin, yeah, to to raise the money.
1: Yeah, I, I think that. Linkletter may have had a story like that too for slackers. I'm not sure, mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. but yeah, that, that, I mean, everybody. That was the that was the early 90s, mid 90s. Um, you know, after etho.
2: Robert Townsend kind of did that with uh, Hollywood Shuffle. Yeah. I remember that was all the hype around Hollywood shuffles that he was getting extended all this this credit. Oh yeah. And he, every time he'd get a credit card, he maxed it out to do the movie, and I think he finished the film on like thirty thousand dollars, whatever, credit card debt. Yeah,
1: yeah, yeah. That was. That, I mean that 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 was the. I mean, people are still doing that. I think today. I think there's just you know it's a, it's a different world because. Uh, video is far more acceptable and, uh, there's, you know, there's more outlets to get the film out there.
0: Yeah. Yeah. Uh, so you're talking about people at the beginning of their careers. I want to talk about somebody very early in their career. It's going to be an amazing transition, uh, who is somebody who, uh, became a, uh, congresswoman, uh, a little bit less than two weeks ago, uh, was, uh you know, was sworn in at the beginning of the month, uh, from uh, from Florida. Uh, this is uh, Anna Paulina Luna. Uh, do we uh, do we have the do we have the Jake, do we have the clip of Anna Paulina Luna?
3: I'm not (laughs) going to say that I want to cut defense spending, but I will say that I think it's important that we are looking to make sure that we are getting the best deal, especially on some of the stuff that we're spending money on. So I think that we need to have those discussions. But more or less what I've heard in some of these negotiations is we're talking about programs that aren't going to the necessities that we, the American people, need, i.e. protections. I'm talking about some of these woke ideology, these funded programs, and, for example, these Uh, these salaries for these additional weaponized 87,000 IRS agents, which you saw we tried to pass, yet the Senate and even the Biden White House is pushing back on. Sir, I say taxation is theft, and I don't want any more IRS agents than you probably do.
0: All
1: right, so... (laughs) Well, we're going to cut back on those things that... uh, uh, Those things that we... um, uh, We're going to cut back on the budget, especially on those things that we're spending money on. That's what I really...
0: <laughs> makes sense I mean. I mean, it does make sense
2: <laughs> i couldn't hear your introduction to that woman she's running for congress or she's in congress. no no she's
0: she's in congress she just got to congress
2: she got elected
0: yeah she got elected and <laughs> uh, uh well she uh represents florida's uh 13th uh, 13th congressional district is that where so, all the no uh
2: what does pascal call them ruzanos are
0: uh <laughs> mm-hmm. It is uh, Sarasota, DeSoto, and Hardy counties. Uh, So, not really. Uh, Yeah, that's like Saint Petersburg, like that, like. Uh, Oh, I know what that is. Yeah, Uh, but I just found that fascinating. So I should say, uh, I I should give credit where credit's due. I I saw this clip because uh, Tim Poole tweeted about it. Uh, (laughs) He said, uh, he said it was, he said it was based uh, this uh, what this thing that she said. but I just find this kind of amazing because this is a congresswoman, and he sounds and she sounds like nothing so much as like a libertarian five years ago calling into the majority report. <laughs> uh, well, I mean,
1: this is the the the. I've heard a lot of people use the line, "We're going to cut the military, but only the woke parts." I mean,
0: honestly, <laughs> like I've, I've heard multiple we're multiple gonna, Republicans say the, that. We're going to cut, We're going to the cut out the woke 80, parts. Yeah, it's going to be like, yeah, the 87th woke division is going to get cut, you know. but yeah, I, I don't know
2: exactly what does the woke that division means? look like? I want to know I, I, what the woke I, division I, looks like and what do they do. I don't
1: know, when know do you what, you what that means. out
2: the woke division?
1: <laughs> it just means, like, I, I don't know, like a, a pride day in the military. I have no idea. I have honestly no idea. But the taxation is theft. I mean, of course, of course. I mean, I, I would imagine look, look I, I would imagine, um, you know, Ron Paul may have said something similar, but the point is, is that now I bet you there are dozens of Republican Congress people, you know, that are by backbenchers. You know, she's probably like, you know, sort of she's younger than your average uh, uh, Republican. She's a woman. So she's not like your average Republican. Um, I think she's uh, Latina, so uh, not like your average Republican. You know, yeah. I mean, this is a party that is I mean, just statistically speaking, was like 90 percent uh white and um and it is you know uh the the representatives in 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 congress for at least you know uh, my my you know uh, essentially eternity uh, uh up until very very recently have been overwhelmingly uh, male and so she's more you know she has like some star appeal but i don't think that that i think there's a lot of congressmen republican congressmen who would say if anybody bothered to put a camera in front of them taxation is theft i mean i, I think they believe that I, I i think they absolutely do believe that i mean they are they're receiving stolen funds <laughs> when they get paid mm-hmm. you don't see you know
2: is she supposed to be right wing aoc is that how they're pitching her like you, you got yours You got us
1: <laughs> isn't Marjorie Taylor Greene right wing AOC? No, because
2: <laughs> she's not a hot woman of color.
1: Okay. Yeah.
2: We, have, uh, we got this brown, we got this brown bra. we got gonna tie out here on Fox News.
0: I think she yes, does she- have brown eyes. So <laughs> Yeah, yeah, fair <laughs> enough. Um, although she Marjorie Taylor Greene uh wasn't like she's not really playing the the role. I mean, she was a uh, she was a. You guys need to calm down and elect McCarthy a speaker person.
1: You know, she. Uh, I I I mean, I, I look. I think she she was smart about it. She wants power, and uh, she bet on a horse that she thought would give her the most power, and ultimately it might. Although, if he goes. You know, I don't know how well she's going to do in the future, but she's like the fourth biggest uh, Republican fundraiser. So she's got, a, she's got, she's got some type of power. She just needs to, Ben, where are you? <laughs>
2: We're in the SoCo Cafe in Rosarito, Baja.
3: Are both of you guys California.
1: there? Yeah, yeah, the wind. You're
3: yeah, getting some so, wind noise, a little bit of wind noise. So wait, there.
0: Ben's outside and you're inside? And you're inside? <laughs> yeah, you I am outside because, <laughs> because I have my, uh, I have my dog with me. Uh, so, okay. uh, so I, I'm sitting at an outdoor table. Um, yeah. I thought, thought maybe on? you
3: guys got in a fight or something. It's like, we're still
0: going to do the podcast, but like, I am not sitting in the same room. <laughs> uh, yeah. No. Uh, yeah. So, so the apartment building where I live and Jason, you know, Jason's in the same building, uh, has, uh, the power is knocked out. And so I, I could not uh do it from there, so uh, which is really sad because I actually have a pretty nice little home studio now, so I am doing it from uh, <laughs> doing it from outside of California. The
2: SoCo Cafe in Rosarito, Baja, yeah. California.
0: Yeah. Uh there we go. Sounds uh, better now. <laughs> That's good. That's good. Yeah. When are you coming I was, to I was it, hoping
3: Sam?
0: I was hoping that the, the wind would be a little bit better in this uh in this location. But I'd, I'd like uh, to come soon. Oh yeah, please, please. Um, so I, I, have a, as I said, I have a one room apartment, but I think I think Jason has a guest room, so you can stay there. I do, I do.
1: That's very, very nice, nice of you to, enjoys, to enjoy, invite, nice. invite me, uh, Ben, to Jason's <laughs> <Yeah>. house. <laughs>
0: yeah, exactly. <laughs> <laughs> um. <laughs>
2: Did you see that comment says Ben and Jason sleep in the same room with the chalk line.
0: Down the <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that's right. That's right. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> yeah. We need to do
2: a buddy cop movie, Ben, because yeah. I think we got this Murton Riggs lethal weapon thing down. There, down the I'm too old for I'm this. I'm too shit. old for this shit. Uh, no, you're you're always on edge.
0: Yeah. <laughs> But in a Jewish way.
2: Like
1: sure. <laughs> Man, I are you, can... you on your phone?
0: <laughs> <laughs> I I am indeed on my phone, uh, because I uh my webcam is literally affixed to the the uh, lighter rig. See, and, I told uh, you
3: I told you the dogma 95 thing was gonna connect.
1: So. Yeah, there you go. So I'll come back around. <laughs> And now, yeah. now that he's set the precedent, he can only, he'll, he can exactly. go to any cafe to exactly. do a show.
0: <laughs> oh, yeah. Or, yeah.
3: He's selling out if he doesn't.
0: That's right. That's right. Yeah. Uh, well, I'm a very comfortable, uh, smug liberal. And, in, um, uh, in, uh, in that, uh, one room, uh, you know, one bedroom apartment <laughs> where the, uh, the fucking powers. <laughs> no, <he>. <laughs> <laughs> um, I, I am just fascinated, though, by this idea, right, that, like, okay, taxation is theft, but fine for me to accept stolen goods because I have a congressional salary. Uh, it's even fine, <laughs> I, I think, for us to tax to pay for other things because she said we should be cutting the woke parts of the military. But, you know, that that implies that the, you know, the non-woke parts of the military, you know, can still can still stay with, you know, can still stay funded. Um I'm just, you know, I'm just very confused by how you could justify being a member of Congress if you uh, if you literally believed that like taxation and government was like just an illegitimate thing to do. And if you don't need that, like what what on earth does it even mean to say that taxation is theft? Well, I
1: mean, I I, I actually don't think it's unreasonable that you could be a congressperson. Right. Like, like, you know, I, I happen to think that taxes should be higher. But and then someone says, well, just give the money, you know, uh, no, but that's not the point. The point is that, that I don't think I think taxes should be higher. Not that I or any individual should pay. And, and so I think like I, 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 you know, I don't think that's the, the issue. I think literally they think taxation is theft. I, I uh, an old neighbor of mine upstate uh, who was uh, who I walk in one day. Into his, uh, he he was a carpenter into his uh, wood shop, and it was completely filled, completely filled with Ron Paul signs. This was about, I guess, uh, fifteen years ago. Maybe it was two thousand eight, and he was going to go out and paint paint the town. Ron, is what Ron Paul, (laughs) what Ron Paul people do, and they were like putting it on like Route eighty seven. They were going like they, they they were traveling like an hour and a half in every direction. And we got into it, and 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 my understanding is that they believe the income tax is uh, illegal because I think it was Kansas did not actually have a quorum, or um, when they voted for the constitutional amendment in uh, what, 1917, the uh, you know the the income tax, yeah. and so they think that it's illicit, and therefore it's it's theft, and and I think also part of it is the um, the they the the their non-aggression principle says that no one should have a monopoly of force um it really in their mind, I think it should be just like an oligopy of force where like just five or six major like uh, fiefdoms will have force, and the rest of us will just hope that you know we align with one of them I mean honestly there's no it is it is like the people who call in like you know like l- literally like. Four, you know, sentences in, all of a sudden the whole thing falls apart. And, uh, but you can just start with taxation and theft and people are like, I- I'd rather, you know, not have to give up any of my money. You know, uh, that's the way you're, I think, certainly on Fox Business, that's certainly Well, especially also to
2: say when you're young and you get that first paycheck and you're like, uh, wait a minute, but I calculated this <laughs>
1: <laughs> right. $8 right. an hour. Right. <laughs>
2: And, and uh, everybody's a libertarian. And I definitely remember uh, my younger brother in 2007, 2008, was kind of enamored. And his little group of friends were enamored with Ron Paul as well because Ron Paul was anti-war. Um, and if you go in the way back machine to the uh, Morton Downey Jr. days, yep. uh, Ron Paul was to the left of, uh, of Morton Downey Jr., far to the left of Morton Downey Jr., because he was talking about the legalization of things like marijuana and also, you know, kind of lessening the police state and, uh, and uh, and of course, you, you know, being being anti-war, which we weren't in any, any huge confrontations at the time like we ended up being in the, in the later 90s and 2000s. But uh, it is interesting that the idea of a left was so weak that some libertarian can come in and be so upfront about how libertarian they were with with the taxation rhetoric, but just being anti-war.
0: Well, I mean, I will say... Oh! To, I will say, I mean, I can remember watching 2008. That was the first time Ron Paul ran for the Republican nomination, right? That's Because uh, yep. I know he did in 2012, too. But, like, I can remember... Like, look, he said a lot of things I thought were grotesque about domestic economic policy, but I can remember moments when they'd start talking about foreign policy at the debate stage. I'd be like, "God damn, it sounds like Noam Chomsky, you know slipped into the the Republican debate." You know, he'd be saying things about you know, like you shouldn't call the Iraqi insurgents terrorists because if somebody invaded your country, you know, would you shoot at them? And, you know, say stuff like that that was just totally unheard of that somebody would express those sentiments in that context. So. Like I, I felt a little stirred of that at the time. It was like, hey, I kind of like this guy, and then he would say that people should be allowed to die if they don't have health care. It's like right. okay, maybe I don't like him after all.
1: Yeah, and it's interesting. I think you know, um, I think what we're seeing, you know, right now, because uh, you know, I've I've obviously like uh, been really sort of monitoring libertarians for uh, quite some time and i really think we're the vanguard of of libertarianism now because the pot thing is largely no longer a libertarian issue right it's become so mainstream uh legalizing um uh, cannabis that it's not you know you know it, it's even as as much as Biden wants to lead from behind, I would be surprised if he's not. Well, he's already pushing it as much almost as he can. I mean, you need statutory authority for the most part to to drop its um schedule, uh, drop it on the schedule. But uh, there's other things that they can do that
0: that might like, yeah, at they, least he help could, the he banks. Yeah, he could have certainly done a less narrowly tailored pardon and like actually. The
1: the pardon could have been a a little bit wider as well. I mean, I think I think ultimately they're going to get there. But um, but nevertheless, it's no longer a, a libertarian sales point. I mean, I think that's why we're hearing a lot more of like the authoritarianism like stuff that we're hearing is coming from, if not, you know, full on libertarians, certainly libertarian adjacent it is becoming sort of like the the vanguard it, it, you know uh and and the in the idea of like um you know uh uh like maximalist free speech um uh interpretations you know for 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 the vast majority of the the history of this country like you know anything beyond like you can't yell fire in a uh, crowded theater like that you don't hear that raised that much in the context of everything that we hear about these days um yeah. and and i think a lot of like what we're seeing is the libertarian movement always sort of mutates and finds like almost like water running downhill on somewhere finds like where where, where there is an opening and i think like the they are there's a big opportunistic you know and we're seeing it like with taibi and and greenwald, and then sort of like uh, you know, the, 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 the concept of the IDW was also sort of like libertarian ish, at least in not, like, not in policy, but in terms of like a branding marketing thing. Right. I mean, this is appealing to the same sort of like inclinations that, that I think people first on a surface level get attracted to libertarianism with. and um, And I think, I think we're going to see more of that. And I think that's going to be the sort of the that's that is the entree where, you know, um, l- drug legalization was maybe five years ago. And really, you know, when you look at what's going on with Biden in terms of his foreign policy, um, it's not great, but you don't hear you know, you don't hear people giving him any uh, applause for dramatically. Dramatically uh dropping the number of drone attacks that we're involved in. I mean dramatically, uh in, in such a huge way that you don't hear anybody talk about it anymore. Um, and and certainly you would. Um, and there's, you know, uh I, I think that the 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 issue with Ukraine now is more about like what's the uh what's the end game, what's the exit strategy as opposed to like you know, and I think there's a debate as to whether you should fund and how much you should fund. And, uh, but it's really more about like, what's the limiting principle here? I mean, so, uh, a lot of like the anti-war, you know, we pulled out of, uh, of, of Afghanistan. Um, we could, we could see more in terms of like getting rid of the AUMF, but, um, uh, you know, that is not as sort of like a low hanging fruit for libertarians in the way that it was, I think under Obama and certainly you know over the past like twenty years.
0: Yeah, no, I think that's I think that's true. I mean, like I, I think it's I don't think we should talk about it without acknowledging that the uh, that the freezing of Afghanistan's assets has been a, a real humanitarian oh, without disaster. a doubt, without a doubt. But but, uh, but yeah, I mean I, I think the fact that I mean it is. Shocking, like it was actually kind of shocking and good that uh that Biden stuck with the withdrawal from uh from Afghanistan. I mean, I i, I remember a while like a couple of years ago watching a uh a science fiction movie that was set in like you know you know 2090 or something and they uh and like the guy in the movie had just gotten back from like serving in Afghanistan. I was like, yeah, that sounds about right, right? right. like that. And, <laughs> and, and, and Biden
1: screwed up the the Iran nuke deal. I mean. Uh, and so uh, you know i i want to make sure that I, i'm not overstating the case but in terms of like you know military conflicts um it, it, it is it's just not as obvious you know as low hanging of a of a fruit for the libertarians uh, anymore because there's nothing there's nothing in the front pages or even in page you know 14 of of the New York Times and there's nobody yeah, right. out there making their bones on it uh you know on on YouTube or like it's just you know are there the there's foreign policy issues but in terms of like war uh Ukraine is really the closest thing that it is and it's you know we're we're, we're sending money uh we're sending uh weapons uh but th- there's no we're not actively engaging we didn't we didn't start that war either i mean it was Russia invaded Ukraine. I mean, it's so it's a very different, um, uh, I think it doesn't have the same, uh, salience and, and, and marketing opportunity for, for libertarians.
0: Yeah, I I think that's, I think that's right. I mean, I I do want to like, uh, I mean, I, I am, you know, I mean, I think that like concerns about escalation, uh, with Russia and and, like how that could spiral out of control, you know, are, uh are like real concerns that you know that that both libertarians and leftists have have raised but um but yeah i agree i mean like we, we are to the same like you know the i think if you were in the bush administration or the Obama administration like that that era right you know that the we are like substantially out of that era in terms of what was going on then which definitely does change that i do want to point out by the way since every time I hear somebody quote that phrase, I want to point this out, that the original context, that thing about uh, yelling fire at a crowded theater, was the Supreme Court upholding the conviction of some uh, a group of socialists who'd been um, passing out Yiddish language, anti-war, and anti-conscription literature during World War I. Uh, so, you know, it's it's you know, there's something to think about there about who get, you know, like who gets to decide what counts as a, as a, as a yeah, fire.
1: of course. I agree. I agree. I mean, obviously that uh, making that assessment, but, but yelling fire in a crowded theater in and of itself, No, I may disagree where you apply be. that, what constitutes that. But, um, but, but I, uh, you know, like I I don't, I don't think we should be, the government should be cracking down on, uh, on, uh, you know, should be jailing people who, you know, uh, are, are pushing hydro, uh, chloroquine or whatever it is, uh, yeah. for COVID or something like that. But it's not impossible to imagine a scenario where like, you know, if, if COVID was like Ebola, uh, uh it might be, you know, maybe people be less inclined to do that, but, um, but, right. you know, but, but the point being that, um, there's a maximalist position, you know, how laws are applied and principles are applied is, is uh, always where the rubber meets the road, but the idea, but I think there are maximalists um, people who would argue. I don't know about that in terms of a fire in a, uh, in, in, in a crowded theater. They, well, it, it's a performance. I mean, you know, like
0: honestly, <laughs> honestly, I, mean, you, honestly, I think on...
1: we're, I, I mean, I, I, you know, I think there are people who, who don't necessarily even agree with that principle and, 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 you know, and certainly it was more of a bedrock before, uh, you know, in a different era.
0: Yeah. Uh, so we've been talking about the right and civil liberties, and I wanted to talk about friend of the show, Ben Shapiro, uh, who, uh, who, who, uh, tweeted this, uh, today, I believe if, uh, if we have this, uh, and uh, he says, uh, "Yes. Uh, why should parents?" So he's object. So the context here is that there's this law that was introduced in the state legislature in Mississippi, uh, mandated for the sake of parents' rights um, and then like uh, the ability of parents to see what their children are being taught. That um, cameras be installed, you know, like like with this with a public feed, you know, so so parents can can access it. Uh, surveillance cameras in uh, not only every K-12 classroom, but also every public university classroom in Mississippi. And uh, other band is objected, is like responding to people saying this is horrifying and said, yes, why should parents have the ability to see um, uh, what, uh, what teachers are saying uh, to their children? Uh, everybody else, because uh, they're our kids, not yours. Or the ideas.
3: I mean, this is just another distraction thing, right? I mean, it's the same thing with the. I don't know if you guys saw the stove act. Did you see that <laughs> in Lu- in Louisiana? The stove act. We're not going to allow a ban on gas stoves. It's just like, hey, what's in the news? What's the what's the headline? Yeah, all right. As long as it makes it, we don't have to really do anything. Yeah, let's well, make a law out of that. You know. Well, I really hope like that we could
0: all spend as much. Energy as possible, arguing about gas stoves, but uh, that would well, actually the,
1: the gas stoves is like the is is you know this year's uh, light bulbs. Uh, I don't know if you guys remember the light bulb uh, thing. In fact, I think Trump, when he came back, you know, rolled back the light bulb requirements, and the light bulb manufacturers are like, "Dude, we moved on. <laughs> we figured out how to make better light bulbs because of that government regulation," and the stove thing you know, there's a lot of evidence that that it leads to neurological uh, yeah. damaging kids and and asthma. But I think the I think the school thing is different. And and the reason is is because the stove thing is like what you're talking about. It's light bulbs, it's um it's Dr. Seuss. It is it is the sort of like cultural outrage du jour. You know, Trump was talking about like the the water pressure and the toilets so you have to flush it twice type of thing. But th- there is a long-standing desire on the right to dismantle public education um, that is, I think, really, I mean, public education exists because the radical Republicans in Reconstruction knew that we could not have any semblance of equality in this country if we did not allow for public education and for uh, and and largely uh though certainly not exclusively um you know uh freed slaves need to be educated and their kids need to be educated and uh there is you know the the right has wanted to defund public education and this is this is a vehicle to do it because the surveillance cameras are not there so that like i can check and see if johnny's doing his homework and betty's you know uh you know uh, drawing pretty pictures it's to surveil the teachers it's not to, it's to surveil the teachers and make sure they're not you know starting with they're not in any way um uh, you know suggesting that they're not heterosexual mm-hmm. and then it moves from there into like they're talking a lot about slavery and they're uh, they're they're making it like the civil war was about slavery and, and then it's like, and there's not been a single, we're not hearing the other side, like how much better the slaves had it in this country than they did in Africa. We're not hearing that side of it. That's not balanced. I mean, this is, and the, and, and what happens is it begins to, uh, uh, it's an assault on public education and yeah. that's where, and that's what they want. And they want that money. And they want it to go to private schools. They want it to go to parochial schools in particular. They want that money. They want, you know, it's the same sort of like structure as privatizing Social Security. Dumb money comes in. They have no problem with the money being collected. In fact, Betsy DeVos said this uh, and her husband were interviewed years and years ago, w- way prior to Trump. I have no problem with public education. I have a problem with public schools. And what that means is I'm okay. With collecting money for public education, that's the public part. Collect the money from the public, and then give that money to Private. parochial schools. Yeah. Or I mean, it's really for DeVos; it's parochial.
0: Mm-hmm. They
1: want it to go to Christian yeah. schools.
0: Yeah, um, I, I mean, to me, the real tell of that tweet is the thing at the end about the NDA, uh, because it it seems to me that um, it it makes a lot of sense that you know. The details differ over the decades, um, but that you get all of these panics about public schools and how bad public schools are and how, you know, whether it's promotion charter schools or it's the um, they're all teaching our kids critical race theory uh, or, um, you know, they're grooming the kids or, you know, whatever it is. Because, look, just from a basic right wing perspective, uh, public education, I think, is... Objectionable primarily for two reasons. One is that it's one of the only things in our society that's actually publicly owned. Uh, it's uh, it's outside of the market. You know, it's a it's a public good that's you know provided within the uh, the, the state owned sector. And two, it's unionized, right? That this this is the in a lot of places. You know, this is the only thing that's consistently uh, consistently unionized. So obviously, if your agenda is to uh, to, to to undermine. The public sector and to undermine labor unions, you know, then obviously you're not going to like uh, you're not going to like public schools very much. And, and it is, but I also just so that's one thing. But I also think you know we were talking about free speech a moment ago. It's like this is pretty chilling stuff. I mean, like anybody who's actually been a teacher at any level. I mean, I have you know for uh, for decades at this point. Uh, like just imagining, and even if you haven't been a teacher, just whatever the fuck you do for your job. Assuming it's not being on YouTube, uh, like uh, imagine, imagine that there's like a little camera installed. That like lots of like cha- lots of strangers who don't like you very much, can uh, can watch you uh, can watch yeah yeah I said assuming you're, that you're not doing it on you know that you're not on YouTube in which case it's a self inflicted injury but the uh, that a lot of strangers who don't like you very much and are going to uncharitably interpret what you're doing are going to like monitor so like you know, if you you if you've had a job where somebody's like micromanaging you think about how bad that is and then imagine that we have this like vast crowdsourced micromanaging.
2: I mean, I want to I also kind of <clears throat> echo a point Paul Prescott brought up that uh, a lot of charter schools don't use a lot, not all, don't use unionized labor. And teachers and employees unions within the school system is probably the largest unionized workforce we have in this country. Yep. Breaking the backs of the public education system and making it a public-private partnership the way most charters operate would really hurt. Uh, the small labor movement that we're seeing in this country and what would education then look like when you take kind of all the teeth out of the labor movement as far as teachers. Like right now you have teachers in uh, Los Angeles talking again uh, about striking and they were just on strike uh, a few years ago and the Oakland Unified School District was on strike and you know, saw the very large wildcat strike which should be inspiring for us on the left uh, in West Virginia, where people are crossing all sort of uh, political lines to get together to, to ask for not just better salaries and smaller class size, but, you know, Hey, we need to be able to live where we teach. And in major metropolitan areas, that's been the cry of these teachers. And we're talking about public education. Uh, You know, Sam, you're in New York. I'm from the Bay Area. You know, Ben's lived in major metropolitan areas the majority of his life as well. This is where public education is the prime example for these people to show the failure of it in these uh, major metropolitan areas. So it is frightening, in my opinion, to see this uh, assault on public education, and we should be taking it uh, much more seriously. Yeah, there's... uh...
3: (laughs) Like this kind of attack, too, is really sad because you can look on YouTube if you watch those like board meetings and stuff like that, because they are like part of it is they're trying to make these parents feel like these uh, teachers are predators. And if you look online, there's videos of like librarians who are like, I'm not I'm not a you know, they're literally like, I'm not a pervert, you know, and it's it's so sad to have to see somebody who's, you know, like you're saying, like somebody who's just a worker, who's a, a normal person trying to do something positive in the world um, have to defend such a, you know, terrible attack, you know, it's, it's horrible.
0: Yeah. I mean, and, and I think that like, look, if you're a a K-12 teacher, you know, I mean, I think that, uh, you're actually doing something, you know, not to be too cheesy about this, but I think you're doing something socially important. Yeah. Uh, and you just you know and you uh you deserve to have a much better job than you have right now and all this stuff is is giving you a much worse job than you have right now but like also the like level of authoritarianism of this is like insane and you know i don't know i don't know if um if this is has you know i don't like it's been introduced i don't know what's going to happen to the mississippi state house i, I want to be really clear on that but like you have yeah. like Ben, you know ben shapiro who because we live in the very strange world is, is like one of the most popular political commentators, uh, yeah. around, uh, who seems to be enthusiastically endorsing this idea. That's like this, this like insane level of authoritarianism where we're also putting surveillance cameras in university classrooms where the students are adults who should presume it presumably make their own decisions. The,
1: his name escapes me right now, but, um, uh, this has been, you know, there's been, this has been going on for, for decades. You know, the, the, uh, how college professors are turning our our kids into you know socialists and communists and 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 it was amazing. I mean it was it was going on when I was in college, and I can assure you that my generation nobody was you know not nobody but it was like the you know I think Jason we've talked about this on on my show with you and I have talked about this like it just there was not even, uh, uh, there was no language for it. You know, we were living in the, in, in the cold war and there was just no, e- e- people did not identify themselves as socialists. And and the one who did was like getting on Donahue because he was like, Oh my God, he's, he's a socialist mayor of Burlington, Vermont. And, and you know, it's like, like yeah. Oh my God, even in the, in the, in the far reaches, uh, you know, like there's actually a socialist there, you know, that type of thing. And so, yeah, it, it this has been going on for a long time, but there you know, this is actually sort of like the um this is there's a, there's a one two punch because uh, over the past 20 years, really, you know, give or take, teachers have also had to um subject themselves to the the Gates funded experiment of value added teaching and high stakes testing and they poured a billion dollars in of just actually hard cash. And then there's like, you know, that's a, um, you know, what do they call that? Uh, 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 you know, that's a it, it, it multiplies. There's a, it, 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 You know, for every every dollar the Gates Foundation put in for their uh, education experiment, like seven or eight dollars followed it in other areas and chased that money. Billions of dollars across the country and, and radically changed, maybe even more um our education system and just as a note in 2017 they commissioned the rand corporation to assess their experiment and the rand corporation said total mistake should not have done any of that uh you should listen to educators it got very little play but but it really there's a whole generation or two of teachers who entered into the profession and you know And where good educators assess the kids and teach to the kids and the kids change from year to year and they they're different within a class. And when they were subjected to this very rigid sort of like uh, a curriculum and rigid um, assessment, everybody started teaching to the test because they're getting pressure from their administrators, teach to the test because we're going to lose our funding. We're going to lose our status. Well, you know, whatever it is.
2: Well, those teachers got yeah. locked up. Remember yeah. that? Those teachers were getting arrested because they were they were given the answers on the test because their, their oh, bonus, yeah. their, their, their pay had depended on it. Um, I, I have to give you a shout out, Sam, as, as I did a, a video essay last year on philanthropic capitalism or effective altruism or, you know, cute name people want to give it. And you were one of the few clips, contemporary clips I was able to get of someone properly critiquing, and, and maybe because you had some kids doing Common Core math at the time, I don't know, but, <laughs> but properly critiquing Bill Gates's involvement um, in public education and how dumping all these hundreds of millions of dollars into public education totally changed the way.
1: Oh yeah, it's Arnie fun. Duncan, and and like I mean, it it just it completely screwed up their trajectory. It, it's really, it, I mean, a you know, there's so many facets to it, but it it really demoralized uh, uh, multiple generations of teachers. On top of which, it's also like a perfect example of like why you should not be why billionaires should not be allowed to exist. Unilaterally because,
3: trying to like, <laughs> change well, education. You know, it's yeah. like,
1: you know, it's like, it's just like uh, they, they sit around and spend a billion dollars. You got a hundred billion, two hundred billion $200 billion. You can spend a billion dollars in the way that like, I'm thinking, you know what? I think I'm going to get a new blender. And you know, like, I, I'm going to get a good one though. I'm going to get a good one. So maybe I'll spend a little bit of time. I'll go to a couple of websites and see what the best blender is. And then I'll buy it. And then I'll never think about it again. And I'll put it, you know, like, You don't want billionaires because this is what it is antithetical to democracy, and on a whim they can decide. Like I'm going to change the trajectory of public education in this country, (laughs) and uh, and that's and 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 no, it turns out it didn't work out. You know, it's like you know, and 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 it's a real, real, real problem. But in terms of teachers, it's just like this is the next round of an assault on their profession, and you know, people don't go into teaching at least, you know, now uh, public education, uh, you know, K through 12, you don't go into teaching because you really, you want to make a lot of money. That's not why you go in there. You go in there because you, you, you want to teach and you want to teach kids. And it's really just, it then becomes like how much shit are you willing to deal with to be able to, you know, you know, get the, the fulfillment out of teaching kids. And it's real. I mean, it's it's exactly the opposite of what we should be doing as a as any society. Really, it's
2: I mean, the, the propaganda film that Gates was one of the producers of that comes out during Obama's first term waiting for Superman,
0: waiting yeah. for Superman, a very
2: powerful film that's anti teachers union. And what's the you know, the moral of that story is that it is uh, tenured teachers that are the problem with public education yep. and education as a whole. And this lottery system is is broken. What we need is more charter schools, and teachers' unions are the enemy. And that movie still has relevance in the minds of many.
1: Yep, without so a doubt, it
2: has really been a strong counter narrative to to the uh, the Gates funded
0: because he funds so and much.
1: You know, what you know, it's interesting because uh, you One know of my, uh,
0: my favorite things.
1: Ben, get a get an internet connection. Uh, his cam his
2: phone died. <laughs> oh no. I know exactly. Yeah, yeah, happened.
0: my phone died. Did so I'm in here on the computer without the webcam. <laughs> but, uh, but I was just gonna say uh, uh well perhaps in a moment, but I was just gonna say that um my favorite Can we get a GoFundMe to get Ben a,
1: a, a, a like a like an external battery for his com- for his phone. <laughs>
0: Uh, I bet you have so health insurance, really okay, man. Right? Or no. <laughs> no, it's good. Good. I'm sorry. Go ahead. <laughs> All right. Uh, well, I was just going to say, you know, my favorite thing about that movie is if you actually watch that thing, uh, they're contrasted. you know, they're to tell the story about how bad public schools are in America, they're telling the story where they're contrasting it to other countries that have, you know, schools do other things. And they're saying that it's, um, that the, uh, you know, charter schools are going to be more like the approach of these you know, schools in these other countries. And the country they particularly hold up as an example is Finland where not only are the schools unionized, but they actually don't even have private schools. It's like they have a like there is a sort of weird workaround where you can have an independent school that does the state curriculum or whatever, but they have essentially banned private schools in Finland. And this is what they're, um, you know, even these people are acknowledging in this movie is, is the, like the best education system of the world. So it is um, you know, I I think it's astonishingly dishonest and I think it's worth pointing out, um, from my dark disembodied, you know, voice uh pointing out uh, pointing this out at the as we get to the tail end of the episode, that this is um that this was a narrative that was not only something that like, you know, your your Ben Shapiro kind of people believed at the time, but was actually very popular in like sort of mainstream Democratic Party. Oh, uh, circles oh, yeah. at the at the time, like well, um Arnie
1: Duncan yeah. was appointed by by Barack Obama, and he was you know sort of like the he wasn't a producer of that film, but he could have been. I mean, he he was a he was the um, superintendent of schools in Chicago, and this whole sort of like you know it was it was neoliberal, it was very sort of like technocratic, it was. Uh, the charter school thing, like, uh, it took years and years to debunk that film, and it was not as dramatic as that film. There's no one place you can go, you and, and and during that era, I was interviewing a lot of educators, a lot of educators, because because Arnie Duncan was doing real damage to to public education in this country, and and the Obama administration. And uh, the 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 problem is that educators had is that like they don't um, it, it, there's a dilemma, right? Like, cause, cause they can't come up with a bumper sticker of what education is a good education is because the whole point of a good education is that you meet the kid where, where the kid's at. And so, and, and, and that is a hard thing to sort of like explain uh, in a, in a very easy uh, w- way. But, I interviewed, I can't even remember the name, but he was from like the Manhattan Institute and he had embedded himself at, in Success Academy, which is one of the schools, I think, in Waiting for Superman. And, um, and I think it was about four, four years ago, five years ago, I can't remember. And he, even he conceded that at the end of the day, the reason why even the best charter schools do well, and, and the fact is, if you look at the aggregate, some charter schools do very well. Other charter schools do horribly just like public schools. But if you look at the aggregate, public schools slightly outperform charter schools across the board. There are certain instances where public schools do better, certain instances where charter schools do better. But even this guy basically said, what they're doing is cherry picking the parents. They are are setting up requirements that basically create a filter for, for parents. So if the parents are able to come you know, at 9 a.m. for a meeting, you know, twice a month or something, those are the kids we want in a school because that indicates, because so much of educational outcomes is a function of, of, of wealth. Kids living in the bottom quartile of, of, of income, they will, uh, they will enter into education, into, into kindergarten with a, you know, tens of thousands of words- uh, listening vocabulary deficit because they just haven't had the same experiences. Wealthy kids. They haven't had uh, the the nanny who's going to talk to them all day there. And, and so um, what, what these, um, what these charter schools do is they essentially cherry pick the parents, the ones that are able to, they have like either the social infrastructure to, to be more involved in with the kids and wow. et cetera, et cetera. And that's the way that they get better outcomes. Uh, So, yeah, it's just, you know, they don't have to
2: deal with, they don't have to deal with special education either. Exactly. They They also,
1: you you know, and and they 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 don't
0: don't have that legal obligation to educate every student.
1: (laughs) (laughs) It depends on what state it's in, but they get around it even when they do. They get around it because they just make it so onerous for the parents that the parents ultimately say, like, I'm taking my kid to public school. And that's basically what happens. And that's, and, 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 and so.
2: And there's Uh, a profit motive and we have to keep that in mind. These schools are run like a business and unlike public schools, this is where charter schools become really frightening in my opinion. And in places like Oakland where they've kind of taken over where it's becoming a real problem. And that is if they fail, they fail, right? They're gone. But what happens to those kids?
1: What happens to those kids and two people have to remember too, like the, you get the reason why public schools can function, even with their the, the uh, amount of funding that they, they they the underfunding that they have is volume. And as these kids leave and go to charter schools, that money follows them and it leaves the public education system. It goes into the charter system. And 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 if that school fails, the local public school all of a sudden doesn't have the ability to plan more than you know six months out because you know and and they're
2: close so so what do do you do
1: what do you do what do you do if like all of a sudden there's 500 more kids in your district
2: and and here's the double failing of that so as those charters become successful inverted quotes public schools close because no one wants to send their kids to the warehousing of the bad kids school you close the public school You have in a situation in Oakland where you have protests. Again, I'm kind of sad more people aren't talking about them. There's protests to keep these public schools open because these charters fail so much because they're money-making opportunities. I don't remember if people uh, remember the football player Deion Sanders that got caught on tape a few years back shaking down his administrators at his his charter schools uh, over, over money. So, you know, as, as Prescott is saying, and shout out to Paul Prescott, who, who also was a public teacher for some time, um, these schools fail at a higher rate. The, the, the market isn't going to give you a better education because who's, who are the people running these schools? So The,
1: the original idea of, of charter schools was actually, um, I, his name escapes me at the moment, but w- was promoted by the teachers' unions as a, as a, an opportunity to experiment uh, and do experimentations that are scalable. But the vision of that was lost over the years. And none of these experiments that they're doing are scalable in any way. They, they work to the extent that they work and they do work in some schools to the extent that they work, they work only for those schools and they bring no value to the public system. And it really is ultimately different people have different motivations behind them. I think a lot of times, depending on the state, you know, uh, you, you can probably, these can be private, uh, for profit schools. Um, they can have more or less state oversight or, or local oversight. The, the, it varies state to state. Uh, Massachusetts does a good job of capping this. They actually had a referendum that, that made it impossible for these charter schools to operate outside of like the, the, uh, uh, authority of the p- local public schools, but, uh, for the most part, charter schools, you know, it's almost like the Iraq war where Wolfowitz said, well, like, eh, weapons of mass destruction was one thing we could agree on charter schools. You know, there's some people are in it because hedge funds are making money. They want to sit on the real estate. They, uh, uh, and some of it is ideological. They're liberal. You know, people want to destroy the public schools. Some people want to destroy the uh, public school unions, but, um, In the end, it is like it it is an impulse that needs to be checked. Um, And and we need to go back to allowing teachers to teach in schools rather than sort of like hit their numbers for the quarter.
3: I was going to say with the cameras thing, probably the worst thing that could happen is that those cameras actually go into the school because then you'll see, Okay, most teachers are, you know, it's, you know, they're good. Most teachers are good. They're trying to create fear, right? They're trying to create uncertainty and suspicion that these teachers are, you know, uh, indoctrinated, are, are, you know, are groomers and all this stuff. Um, I don't know. I think that's kind of funny. That's that's probably the worst thing. Like with no probably. Girls tweet.
0: although also like if somebody followed you around all day, you know, as you're just kind of going about your business and like recording everything that you said. Um, oh yeah,
3: you find something probably yeah, exactly.
0: You know, yeah, you'll, yeah. you'll find you know you can pan for you know, pan for gold of, uh, of people <laughs> right. it's, it's trouble for, yeah. uh, which is, I mean, it's just kind of a nightmare on the face of it. Uh, but, uh, I did want to pivot, uh, because I want to be aware of everybody's time. Uh, Can I just say you know? one
1: more positive yeah. thing? Please? I hope if they do that, it spurs an entire generation of kids who like spend their time trying to fuck with those cameras. <laughs>
2: yes like uh, yes like,
1: like cutting the wires yeah or getting up and mooning the camera mm-hmm. or like you know like putting up like photos of the c- classroom empty you know oh right God. in front of it like i i, I you know i just that I, gotta, would be- I, I gotta hope that there's like at least one kid in every class who's gonna be like my whole school year is gonna be dedicated to fucking with that camera
3: that's gonna become a tiktok subgenre It's going to be classroom fails. Classroom fails or something. (laughs)
0: Exactly. (laughs) I can't wait. So uh, before we sign off for for tonight, uh, we did have something that RM brought to my attention earlier today, uh, which is, you know, we've talked a little bit about, uh, you know, we've talked a little bit about taxation. We've talked a little bit about education policy. But this is one of the great minds of our time talking about um, the environment. So you were the one who, who brought me brought this to my attention. Um, what? Uh, well, actually, first, Jake, do we, do we have the tweet? So, oh no, this is not it. It's the uh, the Jordan Peterson tweet. Damn it, Jake. Yeah. No, You're we're fired. all mad at Jake. You're fine. <laughs> I'll put it out. Ads for a it's new Chinatown. Uh, okay. <laughs> So uh, perhaps we don't have it, but um, but but Aureb, uh set set this up for us. Uh,
3: uh, I, I I yeah. I wonder if maybe Sam's seen this because it's been going around. I think Ken Klimpenstein uh, retweeted it, but it's uh it's a uh, uh, Jordan Peterson, I guess, trying to prove that climate change is fake, and he mm-hmm. retweeted a graph that ends oh, in the in the mid eighteen hundreds or something. 1855,
1: um, which 1855. conveniently right before yeah. the Industrial Revolution. <laughs> <laughs> this
3: is great. Classic, classic Jordan Peterson. I love that. Yeah, I, it's a, yeah. It's sort of I don't know. You might want to include the Industrial Revolution in a, in a thing about climate change. But uh, who who are we to say? You know.
0: <laughs> yeah. So w- what it is is it's a graph of um, of like global climate kind of going up a little and down a little and up a little and down a little. Uh, over uh, over time. Planetary and, temperatures
1: uh, or average temperatures, I guess.
0: At the, um, and so you see, look, I mean, all of this, none of this seems to be, um, you know, none of this seems to be that dramatic. It seems to be cyclical um, and the conclusion, you know, and so, so what are you talking about? How can you look at this graph uh, and say that global climate change is a uh, is a serious uh is a serious problem uh, and it you know it, it is just you know maybe worth worth noting that the graph uh cuts off uh pretty early in the industrial revolution Jesus
1: well you know uh Michael Mann wrote that uh book um, hockey the hockey stick and the hockey stick is is the graph where it goes along like this and then all of a sudden goes whoop, Like that, and that's what's happening in terms of like um, CO two and I mean, you know, it is it is a a function of of the way that our society. You know, I I mean, I think there's a good argument that uh, capitalism just keeps sure chewing up uh, resources and 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 sort of projects the notion that like we have an infinite amount of of clean water and clean air and uh, and, um, you know, protection from, from, uh, the, the science essentially, but, um, uh, it's not the case. I, I heard some, uh, report that, you know, like 40% of the plastic that exists today has been created in the past 18 years.
2: That's sad. Holy
3: I mean, boy.
1: it's just, it's bad. We're in a bad situation.
3: Yeah, Jordan Peterson. Lately, I've been kind of paying attention to him. He's been really ramping up the climate change is fake rhetoric ever since, especially since he's joined the Daily Wire as a uh, you know consistent contributor. Uh, it's been kind of well. Wacky. The
1: problem is Matt Walsh has the he has the the transphobe beat. Told that I can't do that, and that's my thing. We all have our own. So place. Now I've got to search around, and I.
2: He's like a dope fiend for that foundation right wing money.
1: Can't believe yeah. like I've got to go back to climate change. I feel like that was done. Already. It's like being. It's like being in a band. He's the drummer. But, I'm more of the bass. It's. <laughs> But
2: it's like it's like uh, Jordan Peterson will do anything for that that foundation right wing money. Oh yeah.
1: shut up! You guys need a climate changer. What? <laughs> 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 Can not we talk about Dr. Seuss a little bit more, or what about Sharia law? Is that are we not doing that anymore? Sharia law is that out? <laughs> oh. <laughs> I'll put on the most brightly colored suit I could find
3: to wear (laughs) to talk about this.
2: He will dance for anything. Yeah. Yeah, yeah.
0: I mean, the guy is... uh,
2: The Bojangles of the right.
1: What about Hollywood? (laughs) What about the horrible values of Hollywood? Can we... know? (laughs) All right.
2: (laughs)
3: Except Beauty and the Beast. Movies like that, he seems to really be into. Beauty and the Beast. uh, You know... Let me see the
0: swimsuit
1: issue again.
0: (laughs) Oh, yeah, he was I'm mad about the swimsuit. (laughs) Yeah, he got got mad at the plus side. Oh, yeah. uh, Oh, yeah. It's
1: disgusting. (laughs) You need a ram down my throat. (laughs) Not cute. Not cute. (laughs) No, that's not cute. He not been able to masturbate (laughs) to a sports illustrated (laughs) in five
0: years. Where am I supposed to find pornography? I don't know. I mean, if, if I knew any to jack off comedians, I could ask them. Uh, I miss know, the days of long butts. <laughs> uh, but I don't know. Um, don't right. Make
1: me go out on tour with Dave Rubin again and his stupid stories. <laughs> Never made a met a bigger fucking idiot <laughs> the idea that I would have to go back out on tour with him was so banal.
3: Oh my God.
1: Yes, Dave, there's many, many lanes in that highway. Yes. <laughs> so interesting.
2: <laughs> um, sam did you get your uh, baseball card we made for you what we made a baseball card for you
1: what no you i didn't, didn't see wh- did you see emma's what no yeah what's what's going on
2: oh yeah we, we, made, we made baseball cards
1: where where are they
2: do you have them can you put uh, it on screen
0: oh i have a uh what were you gonna print some out oh yeah we got to talk about the sunday right. night Yeah, so on Sunday night, uh, you know this experience that you're having right now, where you see Jason and I being physically in the same space. uh, If you, uh, you know, like that's that's okay. But (laughs) on uh, on Sunday night, you could see in person if you live in New York or want to go there. uh, You could see me and Jason, uh, Deep State Cuba from This Is Revolution. Jake and Andy uh, from uh, for this show have uh, you can uh, you can see Emma Vigland uh, Matt Leck. Uh, Matt Leck David Griscom, Griscom. Uh, Bascar Sankara. Baskar. from uh, Wait is Griscom,
1: Griscom. going to be in town too? Yeah. Oh shit.
2: Okay. Yeah, yeah. No, we're all we're all going to be live and in the joint. So we made baseball cards for everybody. Oh, awesome. and I made sure yours was uh, Patriots colors.
1: Oh, I appreciate that. You know that they play football. Yes. Okay.
2: I'm, I'm saying baseball it. cards generically because I I asked for them to look a certain way.
1: The Red Sox are the, are the baseball team. It's same
2: colors, Atlanta. brosif
1: eh, eh, eh. Uh, A little silver on the page. A, yeah, a little bit of it's silver deal in deal. there. Uh, I'll,
2: I'll, I'll email you. I'll email you.
1: All right. Yeah. I want to see that.
2: Yeah, I think, Does I think...
1: Chris Noth still own the cutting room or no?
2: That's who owned the cutting room?
1: He owned it when it first opened up
2: see we should talk to an OG dude I don't know I advanced the show the other night
1: I don't know what that means yes you do oh see okay
2: look I I want everyone to know that's how you know your talent when you don't know the the terms for when you're booking you're like I don't know what that I I have a guy that (laughs) handles that
1: yeah no I (laughs) yeah yeah I I actually I shouldn't even heard you say that to me (laughs)
0: Fair enough. You should have said
1: that to my representatives. I, <laughs> I should not have even heard those words.
0: Sam was not CC. Yeah yeah, like, yeah, yeah. My bad. Sorry. Me. Never again bother him with that. But yeah. I'm going to spend my time um, now
1: working on forgetting oh, that I heard dog. that.
0: <laughs> <laughs> so, all of those people, Naomi Caravani, uh, it is going to be really good, so that is going, is to, it going be- to be... Is there going to be
1: any room for the audience, or is it just like <laughs> the like- time? No, no, we're
0: just going to have like... It's, uh, it's going to be full everybody of everybody who's on the, the show. It's like two people <laughs> in like five seats sort <laughs> of inside the building, and everybody else is going to be on stage. Now, uh, that is going to be on Sunday night, this Sunday night, the twenty.
1: What time is it at? Because your what? poster, incidentally, says it's at um, 6 p.m., but yeah, the door is open at seven p.m. That
0: uh, it should be the uh, should be the other way around, obviously. So,
1: well, uh, not obviously.
0: Okay. Well, the reason I thought it was because obvious, it could have
1: been the doors open at five, again, and the show's at six. It. <laughs> it's not. It's not obvious
3: because well, my daughter's asking me, like, obvious. when should
1: I when should I babysit? And I'm like, you know what? I don't know <laughs> because the doors open and after an hour after the show starts. <laughs> So I really don't know
0: at what time you should start babysitting. Was that the way the time works? Is that um, well? How do I
1: know? Like when I see a poster (laughs) that clearly is wrong, how do I assume? Like okay, maybe the doors are supposed to open at five and the show starts at six. Like I I don't know what the nature of the mistake you made is, and it does seem like you haven't even corrected it. Which is also, like, it makes me believe, like, it's quite possible they did this is the way they're doing it, because it's I,
3: cool. I, I yeah, like it's an show. experimental show. I mean, yeah. I know,
1: like, <laughs> super avant-garde. You know, he's, he's doing... The some, show, you yeah. enter into the show when yeah. it's an hour into it.
3: He's doing, like, a Bertolt Brecht kind of yeah. thing. I don't know why you don't get this. I think it's really cool, actually, so i love the show Steph. when
1: I got in there, they were so into it
3: <laughs> like an hour like they an, they hour into it the- an hour. doing it for an
1: hour, and they amazing. were just going
3: <laughs> cutting edge well, stuff
0: um I hate to be boring and say that time is gonna continue to work in the way that it usually does here and um and and we will have uh we will ask the booking agent to uh to. Let Ticketmaster know that that's the wrong way around. But uh, is that way
1: in your poster?
0: Oh, is that way in the poster?
1: Yeah. I oh, no,
0: that was a link.
2: Ticketmaster
0: link.
1: I think it's in the poster too.
0: Okay. Well, um, is there a way to resolve this right now? To to look up the. See, well, now, I got, what, now, when now is have... the
1: actual the show? Actually, starts at seven, and the doors open at six. Yes.
0: Yes. 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 Uh, right. Six continues to be before seven. And What time is uh, it? Uh, also, five is before five.
1: six. So, and eight uh, is after seven. Just FYI.
0: Okay. Eight so, is after seven. It's true. I don't know. We're going to have to fact check that. But um, Aren't you glad you're not Sam's like, agent <laughs> getting yelled at? <laughs> this, is
1: gonna <laughs> this is going to be contentious. This is going to be contentious. I'm not letting go of this. I'm making so, a vow now. 90% of what I talk about at the show is going to be this. <laughs>
0: Another <laughs> 10% stuff, is forced the vote. Force the, show, really <laughs> you the vote.
1: Really Force the this vote out. and the yeah, time thing. That's yeah. it. Yeah,
0: That's yeah. all you I get. This time mistake. uh um, I'm gonna go so. change what the what the
2: food's gonna be backstage now because I don't want Sam What is this? Just cold cuts? What is this? <laughs> oh yeah.
0: No, I bet <laughs> Yeah, no, I'm pretty sure Sam likes the bowl for just green M&M's. You're going to launch um, my
1: Instagram based upon what's in the (laughs) the food.
0: Oh, shit. I totally have to go change that right now. Because I can just see Sam being a total
2: dick and be like, what the fuck is this? I wanted little sandwiches, light mayo. What is (laughs)
1: that? Am I supposed to eat this and do a show?
0: (laughs) What the fuck do you think I am? Is there, is,
3: <laughs> is there gonna be a recording of this that we could see? Yes. yes. yes yeah, there will. okay, yes, cool.
0: there will. All right. Um, so this is at the cutting room on Sunday. Uh this is the um,
1: it's like a what 25th right? Street, right? 25th or 24th.
2: It's Wherever Uber drops us. Yeah, off. don't worry about it.
1: <laughs> <laughs> Good job with the marketing here.
0: Did we get the time <laughs> we're going <laughs> the
1: address Hey. <laughs> It's around twenty fifth or twenty fourth, between fifth and like uh, Broadway, or fifth and sixth. I think you
2: got Ben over here googling where the fucking thing is at now. He's all worried and shit. Sam, oh shit, defense. he's
1: looking up where the
3: show he's is all up now. This is that classic Cedar and Burgess routine. Where the, the show? You know, where and what time is the show? This is their classic right. bit. I love well,
0: this. Exactly. I was pretty confident. That six is in fact before seven, <laughs> uh, but I did need to double check this twenty fourth through twenty fifth Street uh, thing. So it is forty four East Thirty Second Street.
1: Oh, they uh, moved it.
0: New York, New York. Uh, the zip code is one zero zero one six. So uh, <laughs> if, if we oh just... on
1: that on that poster, it looks it's 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 accurate.
0: Yeah, that is that is the poster that we made. Um, There's another know...
1: poster out there that you're tweeting out.
0: I'm telling you, this, this, is that ours?
2: It's I somebody. think we're being we've been hacked. Somebody's, uh, somebody's
1: fucking with you.
0: It's okay. Um, it's the person who uh, who, who You didn't have
1: uh, Bree do your 20 graphics
0: 20 for us, did, oh, did you? Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, got you, uh, got, you. No,
1: got
0: you. Yeah. I. Um, so uh, in any case, cutting room Sunday, VIP meeting great at uh, uh, five. Doors open for general admission at six. Show starts at seven. You're going to hear all of this like very entertaining thing that we've been doing for the last uh, last five to ten minutes. If you enjoyed that, you're going to love the show. So uh, we can we can get into exactly um, you know like what what's on like all the adjoining blocks you know and whether I know that you yeah. know. <laughs> oh, <laughs> oh, no. not know. Me and Sam
2: are going <laughs> to. Coast, West Coast beef is what's yeah, going to
1: happen. Yeah. <laughs> well, I love it. Well, that that was my old hood, that uh, that neighborhood right there. So I watch out.
0: <laughs> <laughs> I, I'm just imagining Sam I'm sitting on the stage. I get my crew
1: from Koreatown come over, <laughs> and there's going to be problems problem. It,
0: and it's all circled. And, you know, it's like, and it's like I... we are not talking. About anything
1: else, I was back when I did taek- Taekwondo, so I got a lot of uh, oh, I, Jesus. my, <laughs> my old
0: Steven Seagal the shit out of it. Yeah. <laughs> well, I wouldn't miss that if I were you. So uh, that is on Sunday. The link is down below uh, the screen that you are watching right now. Uh, so I, I am. Well, you know. Uh, I am fairly sure that for people who are watching this, uh, who are not on StreamYard, but who are on YouTube, uh, the link is, in fact, uh, below uh, the uh, the box where we're all talking right now. So I'm really looking forward to that. Um, and uh, thank you. Thank you guys so much uh, for coming on tonight. And I am really looking forward to seeing you, Sam. In uh, right. there could be
1: fisticuffs. I mean, people should show up for this because it could get ugly.
0: Yeah, yeah,
1: no,
2: exactly I mean, I'm excited to like go to the studio Like, we'd be ready I've been lifting weights and shit Like, I'm ready I'm coming to like get a t-shirt Just to
1: Jason should be ready to hold me back
2: <laughs> <laughs> But check, check your, dude Check your email, real talk Check your email with Sydney I think right would. uh, I hang up here All no. right <laughs> yeah, And see, I want people to know This what it's like to deal with the talent <laughs>
1: can't believe this. I gotta, <laughs> I, I'll gotta. be on the phone with my agent. What time is it in L.A.? Okay.
2: In the Bay, it's 7. Or where would they? We're no, no. By I'm
1: by just by concerned by. what's happening. I want to know what time it is in L.A. So I need to talk to my, my reps about this.
3: <laughs> how the hell <laughs> so this happened? Never
1: again.
0: Uh, <laughs> never again. So, somebody, uh, before we go through... Somebody in Beverly Hills is, is, up, is about uh, to get reamed out. Uh, I yeah. think we're going to, uh, to call it right there. Uh, we are going to go to the post game for GTA patrons uh, with Deep State Cuba and Jordan Dubin. Uh, thank you guys again so much. I am, despite the repeated threats of physical violence against me that you just heard, I am still looking forward to seeing this guy in a couple of days. Um, left his best.